0: Welcome back to the Underwater Technology Podcast from the SUT, the Society for Underwater Technology.
1: Welcome back.
0: I'm Emily Boddy, Communications and Publications Officer at the SUT.
1: And I'm Andrew Connolly with the SUT Aberdeen Branch and the SUT Council. Yes, it's been a bit of a break, but we've been recording some excellent episodes and season four is here.
0: Over the next few weeks, we've got some great guests lined up to talk about their work in the underwater world, so make sure you join us for those ones too.
1: And as usual, the episodes will be coming out on Thursdays, we very much look forward to having you with us, learning a bit about underwater technology, and of course the people behind it. And don't forget about the subsea facts.
0: Ah yes, my favourite bit. So without further ado, let's get into the episode and learn about some underwater technology. In this episode, we talk with Fugro's Peter Richards, Designer and Chief Engineer, and James Amos, Business Development Manager for Marine Infrastructure Solutions. Peter and James talk about Fugro's development of a vertical boring machine, a tool which accelerates the subsea construction phase of fixed wind turbines.
1: Welcome to the Underwater Technology podcast by the SUT, the Society for Underwater Technology. I've got two guests today from Fugro, Peter Richards and James Amos, both based in Falmouth. Welcome, Peter and James. Great to have you with us. Do you do? Thank you. How do you do? So today, Peter and James are here to talk to us about Fugro's vertical boring machine development. But before we go into any detail on that, do you guys want to give us a bit of background about yourselves?
2: Okay. Peter Richards. I was born and brought up in Cornwall and um, always wanted to sort of work in the uh, mining industry following my father. Went to and School of Mines and then left the county to work on on quarries and, and mines and eventually found my way back to Cornwall to... Of Fugro and I've now been with Fugro 22 years working on the r d projects for for large drills for the foundations um, that we're going to talk to, to talk about today with wind farms
3: and myself James Amos business development and tendering manager for Fugro uh, I started out much like Peter at the Scap School of Mines I was a geotechnical engineer on land for a large part of my career. Uh, before transitioning to, to the marine environment. I've been with Fugro for, for quite a long time now and I've been uh, lucky enough to get experience both on the large geotechnical uh, international projects uh, and also the, the construction side.
1: Excellent, thanks. Both sound very interesting, pass, You can certainly see the relation of the topic of the vertical boarding machine to uh, the background of mining. Um, but yes, yeah, so be very interesting to learn a little bit more about that. Uh, Forgive me for coming up with this though. You know, I like talking about all the areas of engineering and underwater technology, but this seems like a bit of a boring subject. (laughs) Uh, However, it was advertised to us as a colossal piece of equipment and a colossal piece of engineering. So I really am very interested to hear about it. So, apologies, jokes aside. Um, I love so, a good pun. Yeah, <laughs> I'm here all night. Uh, so, for those of you who have no idea what uh, a vertical boarding machine is, um, and I wasn't really sure I had an idea of what it was before we had a conversation uh, with, with Peter and James about it, but uh, yes, please let us uh, know what it's all about.
3: I suppose we could talk about history first, Yeah,
1: as marine
3: infrastructure solutions we offer um, foundation engineering solutions to our clients. We have been operating in various guises for close to 50 years now as a as a company, uh, and we've probably been offering construction services for, for close to, to, to 30. Our traditional large diameter drilling techniques are, are known as reverse circulation drilling. and they are extremely reliable. Uh, the topside drilling, but they come with the slight drawback that there are some inefficiencies with the drilling, uh, and perhaps not uh, as fast as some of our clients uh, would like. In sort of combination with how the market was evolving, we've seen traditionally a lot of driven sites, but now with the explosion of the offshore wind market. We're now seeing movement into some sort of a harder, harder geologies, and that will require drilling. For that reason, a number of our clients have come to us and said they would like to see us explore different methodologies and different ways of delivering these foundations, especially in, in terms of f- faster drilling. So uh, around 2017, we started throwing some ideas about uh, as to, to, to what that might look like. It was Largely talked about that our clients were imagining something sub C, mm-hmm. uh, much faster, had a better working envelope in, in terms of conditions. And so we put a pen to paper uh, and started just coming up with some some ideas as to, to what potentially this, this drill could look like. Uh, and it did go through a number of evolutions. But what we ended up with was what we termed the vertical boring machine, which is in essence, a drill designed for pre-piled jackets, predominantly. It is in the order of three meters diameter. Wow. It's close to three <laughs> th- 300 tons. It can exist in varying lengths, but the longest is uh, close to 76 meters. Uh, and it can drill sockets up to the order of 46 meters. It can cope with a variety of ground conditions uh, and has the ability to install um, a number of different types of casings. So the, well. to take a step back, when we took pen to paper, we were looking at uh, improving drilling speeds of up to three times faster than than the, the pile top drilling, I, I'm pretty pleased to say that that, that um, in a lot of the geologies that we've encountered so far, we've equaled or, or, or surpassed such speeds.
1: Excellent, Ivan. Mean, it sounds like a colossal piece of equipment. I mean, three meters diameter, three hundred tons—colossal. Um, very interesting, and it would be really good to see some pictures of that. Uh, and, I, and I guess historically, through Fugro's development and the evolution of of this tool. Um, I mean, is it traditionally always offshore underwater operation? Uh, or you know, would this cover land-based drilling as well? Um, uh, you know, how how
2: does that work? It started uh, Pugro acquired um C-Corp, which was a Cornish company that Matt, originally it, started in 78 with prospecting for alluvial tin, but very, very quickly they had um they had some contracts for what I would call sort of near shore and underwater site investigation, geotechnical investigation. So we really, really, we grew up on the geotechnical side of drilling, but then we, we found a niche and, and the niche was um, ports and harbours, installing the, um, the piles you see in sort of um, jetties and pontoons. And as they grew in size from sort of two metres up to sort of three or four metres, it was just at the beginning of the wind industry. So Fugro itself then installed some of the first prototypes in the Baltic um, back in 1997. And then the market has been growing in scale and size of the foundation ever since.
1: I see. And being a, a drilling tool for installing piles, it's a bit different to traditional pile driving with a hammer, I guess.
2: It's um, the 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 benefit there is the drilling solution. It's not as quick as driving, but it covers all geologies. So as as James said earlier, um, whereas uh, hammers, you're 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 limited in terms of the ground types, and you can hit refusal before you get to your target depth. With drilling, basically, we can drill past those obstacles, and uh, what we're now finding is that. Um, uh, with the much bigger foundations, particularly the monopiles, the sizes of the hammers are so large now that uh, the noise emitted by them is prohibitive as well. So there are other reasons for considering a drilling alternative.
1: And I suppose that's right. Uh, and as wind turbines continue, increases size, as you say. Uh, the, the pile hammer driving them in, uh, driving the monopiles in, also increases in size uh, to get them in. But I mean, with your three-meter diameter, I assume that's scalable?
2: Yes, we're particularly catering for the sort of, in terms of fixed bottom foundations, we cater for um, both the sort of key designs, monopiles, which are typically um, sort of four metres above, and um, the jacket foundations, which are very, very similar to the oil and gas foundations, which are typically in the order of sort of two to three metres.
3: We see the VBM series as very much, we term it a family, so that there'll be a variety of tools to approach a number of solutions. I think as probably we're all aware, maybe 10 years ago, wind turbine generators were in the order of four megawatts as early as five years ago. You know, we were seeing sort of maybe sevens now. Currently, we're looking at nine and a half to 10 megawatts. And by the, the end of the decade, we'll, we'll probably be seeing 15 to 20 megawatt turbines, the foundation size of, of which is really quite astronomical. We're regularly seeing a variety of requests from our clients, and that could be either in the form of a jacket foundation solution or, or a monopile. But the monopiles themselves, I mean, that they're going up to 12 meters at the moment, I've no doubt. In the coming future, we, we could possibly even see upwards of, of 15 for which we have tabled a variety of concepts for the VBM family to accommodate these sizes.
1: I see, yeah. And uh, how how does development of such a big tool look? I mean, I can't imagine it's a very straightforward development.
2: Well, I, I guess you, you, you start small and then you get bigger. But mm-hmm. um, having said that, three meters isn't very small. Uh, but in terms of the packaging, think about it. I think about it like a a submarine. You've got the cigar tube, if you like, but inside of that is all the machinery. So from our point of view, we have to package all the drive units, the gearboxes, the pumps, all the electronics. It's very much like an unmanned submarine in terms Mm -hmm. of the scale. And we'd always really envisage that we'd, we'd start with a smaller unit suitable for jackets, and then we'd scale up from that. Back in 2020, we built a very rough and ready prototype, and we used that. We demonstrated that tool here at Falmouth in our yard. We, we created a circuit, a spoil circuit, and we drilled a, a three-meter hole in our yard. It was only 12 meters deep, but what it did show very, very quickly was that we could massively improve the the, the advance rates, the rate of penetration of the drill. And that gave us the competence then to build the drill that um, James has been describing.
1: And with this development, is it bringing together existing technologies or have you adapted existing technologies to scale or have you developed new techniques for this development?
2: Very much so. I guess the problem for all developers is they're very, very worried about um, foundation costs, the economics of their project. They're worried about delays, so they want to speed up the whole process. But they're also very nervous about new technologies so the dilemma for us is basically to be able to demonstrate improved processes and um, faster machines but with the confidence that it's based on existing technology so i think i would describe our vbm as a as a marriage of tunnel boring machines that people are familiar with mm-hmm. for um for drilling through hard rock and what's also known as a cutter suction dredger which is used extensively for dredging in sort of harder ground, so harder soils. So our machine basically straddles those two technologies and borrows from both.
1: Uh, yes, I guess something that's that size, it's quite challenging to move around and get it on site, is it? Yes, yeah, good, good point. We've got something
2: 300 tonnes. Good, good point. So, so the... Um, the first thing, the first thing you learn when you start in the design office at Fugro is because we're a worldwide drilling business. Mm-hmm. So, um, with the exception of the, the big monopoles, everything has to be packaged into sort of container size elements. So, and and elements that will go under motorway bridges and that can be shipped oh, economically yeah. all over the world. So, our our VBM, I I'm, I'm, I can't tell you the exact number of containers. But the, the three main modules will fit onto lorries, and we can we can ship it um, very economically by ferry to mobilisation ports either here in Europe or all over the world. Ah, uh, right.
1: Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I was I was envisaging something that sort of size being transported on the back
2: of a truck. You you wouldn't miss it if it was on the motorway. <laughs> you wouldn't miss it. But uh, <laughs> it will it will the, the, the benefits of the three meter machine is it does fit very neatly onto the back of a a lorry.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and,
2: and what
1: sort of timescale has it taken to develop something like that? Has it been a, a long development process?
2: Well, to, to pick up on the point that James made, we, we properly started with the concepts back in 2016. Yeah. Where we were yeah. marketing the concepts and trying to build confidence and gain funding for the prototyping. By 29, uh, we had a number of projects that were interested in the technology, but those developments, if you like, were delayed from a permissions point of view. So we we kept working on it in the background until we had our first real opportunity in 2019. And that's when we started developing the three-meter machine. By 2020, the summer of 2020, we had a working machine. It doesn't stop there. We're always looking to um, improve the efficiency of the machine and the reliability. So we're, we're looking for different, looking to different versions now to cater with a further range of ground conditions and ultimately electrifying the machine so that we we, we do away with a lot of the hydraulic services.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting point about the electrified version. We were having, it, we were having a discussion before uh, what you were mentioning about the EVBM as a solution. And I take it. The option for the the system at the moment is is hydraulic operation. How do you see the general transition towards electrified equipment?
2: Electrified systems are already very popular in the offshore industry, um, but they're generally topside drills. So all the big offshore drills are electric to start with. Our dilemma basically is we need subsea systems, so we have to we have to our cable, if you like, needs to feed the motors. Um, which are subsea. That technology exists, but typically in the past, the the power of these machines are limited and and we're looking for uh, machines with anywhere in the range of sort of 600 to 900 kilowatts, um, Mm -hmm. you know, to to drill these jacket foundations. Uh, That's a lot of electrical power. So we basically got to develop those those systems to get that power efficiently to, to the drill phase.
1: Yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear about that. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of electric systems in general on the production side and, and oil and gas production, really. Uh, but to know that you're looking to transition to electric systems on this type of construction, that's interesting to know.
2: Part of the portfolio of equipment is we have like a launch system for the drill. It's it's a subsea template. That's electro-hydraulic. So, okay. uh, but uh, the, the difference there is um, it's a subsea power pack and we're dealing with quite modest power outputs. So this would be more typical of the soil oil and gas market. The dilemma for us is we need a lot more power. So what we've done with our hydraulic machine is we use them um, fully synthetic ester-based oils that are fish friendly. Having said that, as an industry, we can remove all together. That's obviously first prize. So that's what we're working towards.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very much agree with that.
3: I don't come from a background of true engineering, should we say. So my experience in technological readiness was somewhat limited when we started this journey. It was nothing short of astounding and quite exciting to be part of a team where we literally were just drawing ideas on paper, presenting them to clients, and then through an iterative process saying, do you like this? What if this doesn't work? How do you see this fitting in? You know, Do you like this? Have you got any problems with it? I like to fantasize sometimes about sort of SpaceX and the, the way that they develop their their rockets and all the sort of input that they have to be able to just literally fire one off and then make a new one. Mm-hmm. Well, we skipped a few of those sequences uh, and we ended up from from paper to working drill really quite amazingly quick. I do think that, you know, nothing short of three, close to four years to get the product mm-hmm. to, to market was amazing. I just feel very lucky to be part of that process that we've done what we, we set out to do right from the outset. Uh,
1: absolutely, yeah, and drawn parallels to SpaceX. Hopefully you haven't suffered any of those, what do they call them, rapid unexpected disassemblies.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I think we've done pretty well, wouldn't you say,
2: Pete? It's a first of its kind. So the, the, the dilemma for us really is um, if you're working on surface, you can tell when the machine's getting hot. Yeah, You can tell when something something's not working. So uh, I, I guess one of the added difficulties, the challenges of subsea engineering is you can't see it or feel it. So everything we do is, is remote. So all the sensing, all the data recording, everything's remote. That takes to get a bit in used to. But it also, ultimately, it removes the um, manual intervention. So our our systems are inherently safe from a people point of view because mm-hmm. our operators sit in a nice um, controlled environment and the machine is operated remotely via tether. So this is a fundamental one for, for Fugro, really, um, keeping our employees safe and um, letting them go home in, in, in the way that they come to work. So I'm very proud of that.
1: Absolutely. And where does this then fit in the overall Fugro offering? Uh, My general awareness of Fugro is on the survey side and I guess the the geotechnical side of things. But uh, so uh, how, how does this sit in the overall offering from Fugro?
2: Um, up firmly in the middle. Fugro not only supports the geotechnical investigation, so all forms of survey, whether it be geophysics or geotechnical drilling, but it also specialises in what's referred to as asset integrity, which is the, um, the life cycle maintenance of these pipelines and cables and jackets. From a Falmouth point of view, we pick up firmly where the geotechnical engineers finish off. Um, we interpret um, the borehole logs. And then we we design the machine the machinery to install those piles that form them the first element of these wind turbines and not only wind turbines marine current turbines and other um, marine energy devices and I, probably it's not just the renewable industry because we're also able to use the same systems on um, for example desalination plants for Mm -hmm. marine um, marine risers and intakes and outfalls for nuclear and nuclear stations of which we're we're a specialist.
1: So certainly um, it sounds like a decent bit of cross-pollination between different parts of the company. Uh, And I was going to ask what sort of customers you get for this. I I imagine wind being a big part of it, but it does certainly sound like a diverse offering uh, different industries looking to drill big holes and uh, install things in the seabed.
2: The wind turbines is, is the most mature of the technologies, but it's by far not the only one. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely.
3: I mean, we've had, um, to usual reference, cross-pollination. Obviously, we started out in a number of sectors, one of them being oil and gas. As we've seen diversification with some of the major players, they have broadened their portfolios moved into the renewables market. We had prior experience with them, having worked with them on a number of oil and gas projects. So we've gone into the renewables area quite well prepared for it. We try to work collaboratively with them, understand their problems or what's given them discomfort, and then trying to engineer a solution around that to give them the comfort
1: that they can go out and do what they need to do. Excellent. Yeah, it sounds like a very broad customer base there. That's that's obviously really good to see. Uh, so... I'll draw to a conclusion by asking, what's next for the development cycle? Uh, I know you're looking at the electric versions, but are there other parallel developments that you're looking at?
2: Um, deep water versions. Um, ah, okay. Mm-hmm. At the moment, though, we we really sort of picked up on the fixed bottom solutions, so that can be anything from sort of 20 to 60, 70 metres of water. But we're also very, very keen to offer up deep water versions that can support the floating wind farms with um, the anchors, the marine anchors, but also um, the other technologies that you mentioned as well.
1: So, yeah, yeah, it's it's great to hear. Uh, and it's been very interesting hearing about the vertical boarding machine development. Definitely not a boarding subject at all. Uh, and if there are... Uh, any videos that we can share? Uh, I know this is an audio format, uh, being a podcast, and we're not necessarily able to show videos, but we can certainly link uh, to websites or uh, other videos that we can put links to. Uh,
3: Yeah, there there are some in existence. Uh, We have some very good footage on site in terms of topside operations rather frustratingly, obviously being a subsea drill, observing the drilling operations underwater is, yeah, is a little bit limited, Should we say? So yeah, the- yeah
1: so, so,
2: <laughs> any diver will tell you the, the what visibility is like in the North Sea. And, you know, if, if, if you've got 10 feet, that's not bad. And if you're at the bottom of a um, <laughs> a, a muddy hull where you're drilling, the, yeah, the, the, the visibility is quite limited. But, um, yes, we have got some some interesting video of the the deployment and recovery of the drill big boys toys yes it's, it's quite impressive to watch
1: excellent uh, on a more general point if the audience want to find out more about the development of this tool or indeed Fugro in general how would they best go about doing that?
3: I can be contacted on my Fugro email which is j.amos fugro.com and there's also uh, the Fugro website which is uh,
2: for fugro.com and I'd also I'd be happy to take emails on my email. P. Richards at foodrow.com
1: Excellent thanks very much for that so yes audience these guys have taken some good time to discuss this topic with us today so if you are interested in finding out more about this technology then give them a shout uh, thanks guys again for a very interesting conversation I, I hope the audience have found it as interesting as I have I personally quite like the look of massive bits of engineering and massive machines. So yeah, it's, it's been quite an interesting topic for me. Uh, So before we end the podcast, we always like going back to our recurring theme of subsea facts. So uh, with, with our two guests today, is there something interesting or unusual that you can share with us?
3: Oh, well, I thought long and hard about this this morning. I don't know why it was almost like David Attenborough-esque, but I was thinking <laughs> about um, the, the, the blue whales for some reason. The longest one ever observed was 108 foot. Then I was thinking about uh, a fact once I was told about the, the size of the blue whale's heart, which was it was the size of a, of a Mini Cooper. <laughs> um, yeah. which was just incredible to me. And the fact that you can pick the sound of the heartbeat up from nearly three kilometres away.
1: Yeah. Well, that's, that's interesting because I mean, I know the scale of a, a blue whale, but I, I hadn't really drawn the parallel of I mean, minute. I'd never really thought about the scale of the size of the heart. So yeah, that's really quite impressive, and it's going to be that's that's a fairly colossal machine in itself, uh, a, a massive heart <laughs> <Yep>. beating away <laughs> inside a whale. Uh, so thanks very much for that. Uh, and Peter, is there something that uh, that you've got for
2: us? I'll um I'll I'll go to the other extreme. So I'll go from the biggest organism in the ocean to the smallest, um, the marine algae, mm-hmm. and it's something I came across recently. That um, the marine algae of seven oceans produce more oxygen than all the forests of the world put together, and I thought that was a particularly interesting fact. Equally as interesting as the as James's whale story. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah yeah um but uh, that's it's an interesting connection that uh, we were talking about the fuels heart uh, pumping oxygen around and of course the oceans are pumping oxygen around the world so um you know, i, I, I don't think we hear enough about the scale of what carbon absorption is done by the oceans and the function of marine algae and and other ocean organisms uh, and what they do to release oxygen back into the atmosphere
3: yeah i think we're, n- we're not here for, for that long a time um And it's important to realise that, you know, we need to protect it for future generations. So anything we can do to enhance the the comfort of us being here and and looking after our environment should be at the forefront.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Thanks very much, both of you, for your time today. Hopefully you found it as, as great a conversation as I have. Thank you. And I hope the audience have found it interesting as well. Thank you very much for listening. And we hope that you tune in for another podcast by the SUT.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Underwater Technology Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about SUT, you can go to our website, sut.org. You can also find SUT across various social media by searching for the Society for Underwater Technology. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email podcast at sut.org. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back with a new episode next week.